And I'm Lenny Kluge. We are two immigrants living in Chile, bringing you information on news, cultural topics, travel, business, and more. The Chile Today podcast is the first ever bi-weekly English news podcast. For more information about the news topics you will hear today, check out our news affiliate, chiletoday.cl. If you have any questions, stories to share, or just want to say hi, message us on Instagram at Chile Today Podcast or email us at chiletodaypodcast at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous, rate and review us so that more people can find our podcast. Crunch, 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 crunch. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Do the crunches? <laughs> nom, 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 Okay. okay. Um. Hi, everybody. What's going on? Hey, Lenny, how are you? Hey, Bethany. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm amazing. You know oh. why? Oh, I don't know. Tell me about <laughs> it. I got engaged no of, like, about a week and a half ago. Yeah. yeah I was kind of teasing at it last episode. I don't know if you listened. No, I didn't. I was I was in Disney World and I was okay, getting engaged, okay. so I didn't listen to the news mm. section. Sorry. No, I just said that Bethany's gone and she might come back with some news. Oh yeah, I'm engaged. I'm getting married to my boyfriend of almost six years. She's going about be fucking time. Sixteen. Say okay. I just I just heard sixty. Well, you don't look that old. <laughs> my boyfriend of sixty years. <laughs> yeah. I look good. I, I like him. I like him ripe. Good. <laughs> For, for 60. I like a mature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that would make me at least, like, in my 80s. If I had a boyfriend from, for 60 years, it would be, like, in my 80s. I guess it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> be like, finally, he popped the question. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time. So, yeah, I've been in Disney World for the past two weeks, um, and it was amazing. I'm now on Disney withdrawal physically <laughs> and mentally because of all the sugar I consumed. So now I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> Without the, oh, without the processed food. That's where the jitters come from. Yeah. Right. Yep. There you go. That's why I'm twitching over here. Good thing <laughs> that's this why is not this a visual. on your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Tremolo. So, if I start talking really fast, it's because I don't have any sugar in my system. Mm-hmm. So. You, you want you wanna another Mountain Dew? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't drink any Mountain Dew when I was in the U.S. No, I drank a lot of Dr. Pepper. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah. So if you don't know, dear listeners, Dr. Pepper does exist here, but it is quite... Few and far between, and there's no dye Dr. Pepper here. I love Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, he's my favorite doctor. <laughs> yeah, and he's a real doctor. Yeah, he is. So how are you? How have you been since I've been gone? Been good. Lonely, I see. Been, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Been good. Been busy. Been, actually, I have to think about, like, like, these couple of weeks went by very fast. It's just, I mean, I'm going to be... Tell me about it. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be traveling next week. Yeah, I'm also going to the U.S. for a couple of days, not to Disneyland though. Disney World. World, excuse me. Get it right. Please forgive me. Will not. No. <laughs> no, I'll be going with my wife to New York for a couple of days for like ten days. Fun. So I've been kind of busy planning this thing, and then you know work and other things, trips. and and you know, and before you know it, two three weeks went by, and now I'm here. Yeah, now yeah. we're here together again, reunited. It feels so good. It yeah. Feels so good. So, uh, before we get started on our news, we guys, we guys, mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. we want to remind you guys of our Patreon. So, we have two tiers of our Patreon. One, the first tier, just a $5 tier. It has, it's really cool. You can get um, tip sheets every month, and also the tip sheets are there, like they don't disappear. So, you can get all the tip sheets that we have that give you tip sheets on where to, we have so far like the best places to watch, um, your international games if you're from wherever you're from and you want to catch a game. I know March Madness was recent. 
which I only know what that is because um, it sounds really cute and there's alliteration, but where to watch games like that. <laughs> also, such an English teacher thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, we have some of the best places, like if you're just coming through, like really authentic Chilean places you can go. And then like different levels of authenticity, right? Like if you want to go really somewhere really authentic versus somewhere really like cutesy you're gonna get touristy, like, touristy tacky. tacky you know depending on what you want we also have um free tickets to events that are in the city um discount tickets free beer things like that uh, also through the patreon you can have a direct connection to us the ten dollar level you can have um, a connection to our discord where you can talk and create chat boards about like help me with this visa or uh does anybody know a dog walker in the city or etc etc so that is really great also at the ten dollar level you will get some merch um so that's really and great. all that for a cup of coffee all that how for the, our, how the inflation is going these days oh, yeah. so half a cup of coffee <laughs> yeah yeah so there you go um so support us on patreon we're artists and work really hard to bring you this stuff so even you know support us and you get some cool stuff back so yeah 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 uh speaking of events that you can get discounts or free we have uh three events i think coming up that we know about in the city <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So what's the, what the first one is storytelling? The first one is no. The first one is so much for good preparation here. The trivia night is the trivia night. Okay, so the trivia night is on the twenty third of April, and that's bilingual trivia night, which is really accessible for any language level, where you make a team of up to three. It's um, six thousand to enter for non Patreon patrons. It's four thousand to enter for patrons. Um, basically you get a $2,000, whoa, 2,000 peso discount, um, ticket. And it's really fun. Come with your friends. It's also a really good way to meet new people. Like if you come alone, you, you can always get another team. There's been recently like, fr- like a guy who came a few months ago and now he has like forever friends that he always goes to the things with Aww. now. And like, there's like this married. team. No, not, not okay. that, but it's a really good way to meet people. So if you're worried, like, oh, I'll be by myself, you won't, you'll be, we'll put you on a team of somebody looking for someone else. It's really fun. It starts at 8 PM on the 23rd at the Black Rock pub. We're going to have more information on our Instagram. Instagram at Chile Today Podcast. So check mm, that out. Yeah. Um, all of those things are going to stay the same for April as far as the events. And then in May, they might change. But for the okay. trivia night, three people per team. Trivia night stays the same. Trivia night's the same. Everything changes. Trivia night stays the same. Yeah. <laughs> You're anchor in the Stormy your Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the trivia night. Uh, yeah, people do get freaked out at the trivia night because I, I host it, and Pinguino um, also hosts it. <laughs> they get freaked enough. out because I host it. No, it's because I learn people's names. So if you're like new there, you're like, how does she know their like names? George. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, because th- we have people who come back. It's really fun. It's a really really fun. It's actually, um, if you want to go, you should uh, email us or email Stolas at gmail.com who who is who are the people that actually put it on. Um, to make a reservation because space is limited. But enough about the trivia night. What's the next one? The next one would be a, which is actually not a Chistolas event. No. Like, you know, for a change. It's Chistolas affiliated, not even, no. But no, we're friends with them. That's we it. know them, yeah. They're other the, gringos. They're buddies. They're other the gringo sphere, as we like to say. It's a storytelling, which is uh, telling stories yeah people go there tell like <laughs> very self-descriptive yeah like it's like a five or ten minute story about their lives yeah. or like what well, they usually through. have a theme they have a yeah theme. they have a theme and like anybody can enter i don't know what do you know what it is this month the theme is it lost yes. and found 
It is lost okay. and found. Lost and yes. found. So it's people going and it, and telling their stories. It's really fun. It can be kind of emotional sometimes. It can be funny sometimes. It, it's really nice. It's a free event. And that's going to be at Fiddler's Win. It is going to be on April 26th at Fiddler's Irish Bar next to Metro Monument. And it starts also at 8. Great. 8 great. 8 great. And then the last event is Bilingual Stand-Up Comedy on the 30th of april and that's also at fiddlers yeah, you might as well just stay there for those couple of days just yeah, you know, just pitch a tent um, mm-hmm. you know and that one is at Chistola's event Love and that kind of tent. uh it starts at 8 30 it starts at 8 30 is it it does it starts at 8 <laughs> everybody's shaking now no i i remember because i Fine. i created the free tickets for the patrons on patreon so you can get in for free i don't know how much it is for um people who aren't patrons but it costs money for you if you're not a patron yeah it's usually what around five or six something i don't know i don't know yeah. what they're charging these days yeah. it's, so plan to pay like i think five thousand pesos we'll update you <laughs> when all i was stuff, younger it wasn't that all much. the information is going to be on our instagram so uh you can see more information there or if you're a patron you just get in for free you don't have to worry about it um so your actual patron would pay for itself you see how that works okay um, <laughs> we're not good at math <laughs> with inflation these days okay so now on to news you have noticed so covid covid update as of april 9 which uh, from today's perspective was yesterday we had 3368 new cases i don't know did you guys check today's numbers because i didn't get around to do no, that but i think on sunday they don't publish the numbers do they because oh, today's wow. sunday well anyway so as of mm-hmm, saturday we got 3368 new cases with a positivity rate of 5.39% and has been kind of fluctuating around that percentage for the last couple of days so it seems to be stabilizing stabilizing around that value now i took a peek i took a gander at my notes from the last couple of episodes and the positivity rate two weeks ago was still 8.38 percent and before that was at 14.88 so like we've come we've come a long way so it's definitely gone down a lot but it seems to be petering out but let's see what the next couple of weeks bring now that being said, currently almost a million people, or more precisely 956,552 people, had their mobility pass blocked because they haven't received their booster shot. Their, their third? Their third, right, the booster shot. Now, uh, and it's not looking much better with the fourth shot or the uh, the second booster, if you will, because like 22% of the, hold on, like 22% of the people eligible to have received the fourth shot haven't gotten it yet, which is about 700,000 people, which is not minor either, you know? I have to say that it is confusing because there is what they call the, what do they call it in... Refuerzo? There's the refuerzo, which is the third shot, and then there's the cuarto dosis. Yeah. So I keep getting confused because they keep saying refuerzo because at this point in my mind, the next refuerzo is the fourth. Yeah, we had this discussion on the chat. Yeah, we've. I have gotten confused more than once yeah. because I'm trying to figure out because my fourth is coming up right in the next probably month or so. So, but I keep getting confused because I'm like, oh no, I need to get my 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 fourth dose, and then everybody's like, no, 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 you're you're good, yeah. you're good, and right. I'm like, what? Disclosure here, we are talking on another chat the other day and people were getting giddy because they saw the calendar, like the Minsa, the vaccination calendar. And it was that and said like, uh, 
people for for your esfuerzo it was like oh my god you know i can get it now and then we're having another look at it and it was just like no 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 hold on they're talking about the first booster shot because yeah, the second booster shot is called the cuarta dosis yeah. so yeah so first booster shot is refuerzo second booster shot is cuarta dosis which yeah. is kind of uh, yeah. yeah do you see again because i've had my third since October like when I see refuerzo and I see like my age group I'm like oh yeah yeah and I'm like wait no <laughs> but um, they are up to October early October not quite me yet for the fourth dose so my thing is I feel like when my friends Diego and my my fiance get the the <laughs> dose right before me pinguino I meant um pinguino's not my fiance <laughs> <laughs> That's keep on digging your own grave. Okay. Time. Um so uh what was I saying? Ah, oh, dang it, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, when they start murmuring about getting their fourth, I'm like, it's me, it's my turn. So and we'll keep you updated. Yeah, so um but as I said before, like you have almost a million people that got the mobility pass block because they haven't even gotten the first booster shot, which is a little bit like okay, if you ask me, this goes a little bit against the uh, latest measure that they've implemented which has changed the plazo paso plan which is what i'm going to talk about now because they were like okay let's simplify this let's be a little bit less restrictive because like we got 94 people vaccinated but i think they're not really considering that we have a million people who basically fall out of the scheme which drives us down to what like 80 percent or something so that's you know Yeah, I know. Like that's like that's, that's like complaining on a very high level there. But you know what I'm saying. So yeah, we're gonna have a new um, paso a paso plan as of April 14th, which is going, which is uh, what was it? Thursday, Thursday, next Thursday, or this Thursday when you listen to it. So the details will be known on Tuesday, April 12th. What's special about this new Paso a Plazo plan is it's more simplified and it only has three phases instead of the five that the current one has. What phase are we currently in? We are in phase four right now, which is the, yeah, phase four or five. Five would basically be no restrictions at all as far as I understand. I think there's still some minor restrictions. Yeah. Yeah, it could be, but like you wouldn't even notice that. So, 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 so one thing about this new paso a paso plan, which has been criticized now in the in the in the forefront, in the four phase, in the forefront, in the four at the beginning, at the beginning <laughs> before it's being implemented, yeah. it's that it applies to districts or municipalities, if you will, <laughs> like instead of regions. So it's going to be a little bit like in, it was in the beginning of the pandemic when they had like parts of Santiago like shut down like you couldn't you couldn't go from providencia to like the center for example it's going to be a bit more like that because remember lately they have applied the paso a paso plan to like regions it's like the whole metropolitan region or the lakes region or whatever so this yeah. is going to be different now so i want to just specify for our readers who aren't from chile or yes. Santiago or whatever so for example at the beginning of the pandemic i lived in um las condes but i lived like less than a block away from providencia And there was a point in which Las Condes was like completely shut down and Providencia was not. But I lived like less than a block away. And so literally I was completely shut down and I could just like, if I wanted to, as I would never do this, obviously sneak a block over and I would be able to like, you know, go do other things. Yeah. So that's sort of what they're re-implementing is that there's these um, 
it's not citywide or whatever. It's these little, it's these little divisions. No, it's not going to be that extreme, but that's how it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So there's going to be, which is why it's been criticized because it's like, is there really that much of a difference between Providence and Las Colondas, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to get to that point, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I remember like I had people that were like, I I can't get, like I literally work across the street. I can't get to work because it's like where the new district starts. (laughs) <laughs> right. I can't leave my house. It's it's really weird. But in some ways it makes sense because for example, the um, like the Las Condes has very large hospitals, right? And a lot of capacity for taking in um people while maybe I don't know, like Puente Alto doesn't have as many hospitals or whatever. Part of this new plan is as we already mentioned, is partially doing away with the mask mandates as you already insinuated. Not for indoor spaces. Indoor spaces, you always wear a mask. Tough shit, you know. But for outdoor spaces, depending on what phase you're in, if you're in medium or low sanitary impact phase, you are no longer required to wear a mask if you are in an open space. Uh, how, as long as long as a minimum distance of one meter is being observed, which is such a theoretical, I can't even... Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Now, experts are actually worried about this because of that. Because as you just said, like, who's going to who's gonna check that? Nobody's going to check that. Also, they say, like, right now we are experiencing sinking case numbers, which is great. But they also give people false sense of security. And don't forget, we're heading towards the winter. And new and more contagious, contagious virus variants have already been identified in other parts, like the Omicron XE and the, what was the other one, the Delta Cron and whatever, you know, they're all over the place. And, you know, the people were just like, we know how chilling people are. People might feel entitled to stop use, using masks altogether yeah. based on their own judgment. You know, it's like, don't even take them, take the mask with them and they leave the house. So last COVID related related news as renated as of May 1st, Chile will reopen all border crossing points now. Also like uh, land crossing. Travelers will still need a mandatory C-19 declaration form, including the whole daily self-reporting thing that you get on your email. They don't do that anymore. The self-reporting thing. I have not gotten it. Well, maybe because you got tested for, I don't know, man. But okay. Another thing. Well, you still, well. My point was that you still have to fill out the C-19 form. You will have to provide proof of vaccination upon entering the country. And you might, as you said, like might be randomly selected for testing upon arrival. And I think we just talked about this off the mic, which I think is a very interesting thing and very useful thing to let you guys know. Because if you don't get tested upon arrival, you have to yeah. pay the test out of your own pocket or eat no, the steak quarantine for... Was it on the podcast? Then just maybe just... just yeah, but, you know, it bears repeating, so there. Yeah. Um, well, it depends if Pinguino cuts it out later. <laughs> so, yeah, however, if the situation is getting worse again, the health ministry was adamant on, like, you know, saying that, okay, they got, like, plans and they develop control measures that will be applied at the border crossing. So if things go to shit again, they're going to shut the show down. They're going to shut the shit down. Yeah, true that. So, yeah. So, that, uh, so much about COVID. Hey, so let's talk about um, water. So Chile is actually suing BHP, Abamarle, I don't know how do you pronounce that, Antofagasta, um, over their water usage. You know, this is so. funny. So this is a, okay, so first of all, this article that I like took this from is from The Guardian. And it's really funny because it says, and I quote, the Chilean government of ecologist and feminist president Gabriel Boric is suing mine operations by giant BHP. 
Alvin Marley and Antofaga. So I don't know how the fact that he's a feminist president, like, goes into any of what we're talking about right now. But I guess thanks, The Guardian. I don't know. Your fetishes, Boric, whatever. Like, and tattooed, and tattooed president, Gabriel Boric, who doesn't wear a tie. I don't know, like, how that has anything to do with this. But, okay. Over alleged environmental damage caused in the northern um, Salars and the Atacama uh, Salt Flats. Uh, which is one of the world's, or is the world's driest place on earth. Yeah. Um, so the State Defense Council, the CDE, lingual, lingual, legal action singles out Bechapes Escondida, the world's largest copper mine. The lingual, the Kalingus department. Um, and Tobogasa and Barik's 50-50 Zaldivar operations and the Albert Marley's lithium assets. So the if you don't know, just some background, the water in Chile is all privatized. All of our water is privatized, which is obviously something that Gabriel Boric is trying to really like do away with. So like we have Yeah, you can Exactly. (laughs) Big water. Okay, so the case centers on the apparent deterioration of the I'm gonna butcher this. Monturaki Negariar de Loposo Aquifer. An important source of groundwater. What? Yeah, I know. It was a lot. Because of the high pace of extraction to support mining operations in the area. So they're extracting a lot of water, um, more water than they're supposed to, apparently. And so that's why they're being sued. So the government agency argues that the mines named in the suit have breached the environmental protections, preservation, and conservation rules. The Manturaki Negriartiloposo Aquifer has been exploited for decades by Zaldivar in the Negriar sector. Albert Marle in Tiloposo area of the Escondida Manturaki court documents read. <laughs> so I did it. It's just the names of the mines, okay? So the Escondida mine, uh, which is the BHB mine, um, has extracted 1,400 liters of groundwater per second until 2019. Zaldivar, 212.75 LPS, protected under 2025, which is the authorized flow rate of 500 liters per second. So they're doing 1,400 liters per second, basically, and they're only supposed to be doing 500 liters per second. That's basic. Fourteen hundred is more, much more than five hundred. Uh huh. (laughs) So, um, so the the documents talking about how that the extraction of this um, amount of water is not only obviously bad for the environment, but we have a water shortage. We're in a drought, and this is in one of the driest places on earth that they're taking. Um, this water from okay. okay so the chilean's copper agency not the mine cochilco estimates that the mining use of seawater so because the copper mines that are owned and nationalized by chile are trying to use more seawater and for a desalination process rather than fresh water they're going to try to increase this 167 percent by 2032 um, and says that their freshwater use will decline by 45%. But by the end of that period, 68% of the water used by the industry will come from the ocean, which I think is really cool. Yeah, though we did talk about that particular detail in the last episode, too. I don't know if you cut it out in the end or not. But, um, but because, I mean, I'm all for like desalination and desalination plants is great. I mean, Israel is doing this a lot. You know, we already have 18 desalination plants in the country. 
thing is like it comes with its own bag of problems because you have like desalination plants have a huge environmental impact too because what you are doing when you take the salt out of the water you create brine which has we can just pickle some stuff it's fine dude the only things they have here are the German pickles, which are gross. great. What, what the? I don't like German pickles. What? I want me some good dill pickles. Those are these are the best pickles ever. No, give me some dill pickles. Those are Dude. dill pickles. They taste sweet. But they got. They don't no, taste I, the same. They're not the same. You cannot argue that they taste the same. You've fine. Been to, you've been to the, my home country enough to know that they do not taste. The same. I mean, they're a bit. Maybe you're buying the wrong shit. I don't know. So All I'm trying to say is we need a pickle stuff that's better than what's here. Yeah. Well, Boric, so call us if you need pickles, consultants. And it's so easy and they last forever. Like, that's how we're going to fight inflation right now. Pickling things. Pickling things. And Boom. Problem solved. From the brine water to salt our meat for the upcoming apocalypse. Exactly. Well, there you go. Talking about inflation, that's a nice segue. Let's talk about the economy a little so, bit. So, so, so smooth. So smooth. So... The central bank revised their go growth, the goat, yeah, the goat projections. We're not going to have as many goats next year as this year. Well, I don't want any more like cabritas, so no more popcorn. No more popcorn, palomitas, whatever. So the central bank they revised their they revised their growth projection for 22 and 23, 2022-23. That is. So while in December last year the central bank projected a growth of 1.5 to 2.5 percent this year, which is not great, but it's better than nothing. They corrected it down a little bit. Now it's only 1% to 2% of growth. And for 2023, they even expect the growth to be ranging from minus 0.25% to positive 0.75%. That means that we might be actually heading for another recession. Fun times. So one major reason for this correction is the rising inflation right now. So we are currently at an inflation rate of 3.4% year to date, and we're only in April right now. And if you are calculating the interannual rate of uh, inflation, which means like the last 12 years, we're close to 10% already, which is what the central bank had originally projected for all of 2022. So this is far from the mark of 3% that they actually wanted to stick to. So that's a bit worrisome. Now, reasons for this are the increased uh, spending of the last quarters, which, you know, the first, second, third retiro had something to do with that. And yeah, which is that people could take money out of their pension fund to live. Yeah, which, you know, a lot of people, I would argue, did that to survive. A lot of people also took out their money, just decided to just vacation. And all in all, the macroeconomic impact is that you have a lot of spending. You don't have an increase in supply. You don't have an increase in, I don't have a growing economy, which means you up the inflation. So that's what happened. Another reason. Complex. It's complex, yeah, but it's part of the reason. Another reason is also um, is the conflict in Ukraine. And also other factors like the the research of the pandemic in China, like Shanghai is under lockdown right now, so you cannot receive. Yep, and you know, like if things can leave China or only leave China in a very reduced rate, that means that you know you don't get the shit that you need here, and prices are rising. So to slow inflation, the central bank is expected to raise the interest rates to seven point two five percent or even seven point five percent. 
Well, the the prime, which is loans on the one hand, but which would also be um, uh, savings, for example. Like this goes both ways. Like you want to take out a loan, you got to pay more interest. But if you have a savings account, you also get more interest. So that's a tool. Yeah, well, that that's a tool. Basically, that's the most common tool that central banks use in order to fight inflation, which makes sense. But of course, it also hits the poorest the hardest because those are the people that rely mostly on credits, you know, and don't have as many savings. And all the while... All the while, the, the fifth retiro, the fifth withdrawal, which is actually the fourth, but, you know, they call it the fifth retiro, is being discussed, which could make things even worse right now with inflationary-wise. So, ugh. so an effect of the high inflation is that, of course, everything is getting more expensive. Now, chicken has went up by 9.1% oh in price. Bread has by gone up by 5.9%. And sunflower oil by a whooping 32%. Now, okay, I saw that because it's funny because, what, one or two months ago, I saw memes all over Germany. Like like my German friends on Facebook was like, sunflower oil is so expensive. I was like, what's going on? Everybody was here, was absolutely oblivious. And then two months later, it just hits here. It's just insane. You, there, so there's a meme going around that has like a bottle of Pisco that's cheaper than a bottle of sunflower oil. And they were like, decisions, decisions. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm going to cook with Pisco now. Yeah. So yeah, so but but this 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 price jump in sunflower oil is, is actually it's due to um, Ukraine being the world's Ukraine and Russia being the world's biggest exporters of sunflower oil as well as the production means of sunflower oil in the case of Russia. So yeah, that right, really we just produce our own sunflower oil. Well, Argentina does that actually. I was um, yeah, no, a friend of mine just posted this meme. And it was like, well, why why is sunflower oil so much cheaper in Argentina than it's in Chile? And then, you know, like the undertone was just like, oh, my God, you know, supermarkets conspiring again, which could be. But I think the more likely explanation for that is it's just Argentina is the third largest exporter of sunflower oil in the world. Yeah, because and now Russia is actually sanctions export of sunflower oil to anywhere. So it's just. Okay, it's pretty much Argentina's like top two now after Ukraine. I think top one now because Ukraine is in shambles too. You know, it is as it is. Yeah, they need that. Yeah. So to deal with the problem of the rising commodity prices, Santiago's Pedro Aguirre Cerda district announced the inauguration of a popular bakery or bakery of the people. How would you translate that? (laughs) It sounds so communist China. (laughs) People's bakery. Yeah, that sounds nicer. So... And this is being this is being funded by the <laughs> municipality. <laughs> Why does this gingerbread man look so lifelike? What's what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's strange, but it tastes great. So yeah, this this popular bakery, this community bakery, is being funded by the municipality, and it sells its products at cost. So um, that's that's a good thing. So this is gonna come down the pike. And one more thing, which I thought was just hilarious, because ironically, in the midst of all this, the public transportation panel of experts actually recommended to increase the price of Transantiago fare by 30 pesos or more to be able to compensate for the rising fuel prices, which, I mean, taken out of context, this absolutely makes sense. But then everybody was just like, you remember the last time? You what happened this? when, also, you know? why are the people who don't use cars the one who are having to pay for the... Also, you know, and it's just like really like now of all times you propose. Yeah, I mean, do it or don't like if if you want to do it, fine. Just hold off until things are a bit 
more stable and we're growing again because okay if you don't know what's going on here what we're talking about the 30 the 30 peso rise in fares that was planned was was actually the straw that broke the camel's back back in october 2019 and was like basically the it started the estadio social which led to the new constitution and this whole cascade of things happening so yeah it is very loaded so doing this right now when everybody's bleeding and hurting I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's going to happen, um, the rise, really. Um, but... I think they're just going to get a rise. Do you want to get a rise out of us? Okay. Dad joke central. All right. Got, got something else? Okay, so I'm going to start with some trigger warnings here uh, of what I'm going to talk about and what Lenny's going to talk about afterwards. So um, the, we have some trigger warnings for sexual violence and also violence against animals. So if that is something that you do not want to hear from us, feel free to skip forward um, to our next section uh, that we're going to talk about the Arocanilla, um, which is <laughs> which a little bit also violent. So, um, But <laughs> just just in case you have certain triggers, the, the animal thing was a bit triggering for me. So... Um, if you don't want to hear those things, then you can skip forward. Um, so this first one is there's um, closures of schools here in Santiago over sexual violence. So there have been student strikes which have forced several schools to close across Santiago um, over amid of growing uh, anger over sexual violence, um, uh, which has occurred since the return to in-person classes. So it is March. They returned to classes in March. Mm -hmm. So this has not been something that has, you know, they just returned back to classes. So it's mandatory, right? So uh, Javiera 17 says the demand is to stop harassment. She's one of the hundreds of girls to join protests outside of the prestigious Santiago Lastaria school after male students were found swapping intimate photos of female classmates on Instagram she said, we are demanding justice for victims and for schools to stop protecting abusers. So um, there were some chats where boys were discussing gang raping their fellow students. Um, and they were claiming the notorious, quote, wolf pack case in Pamplona, Spain as, quote, inspiration. Which I'm not sure what that is, but I'm well, assuming it, it has to, it's bad. Um, so there were screenshots of the conversation that were circulated among female students in several Santiago schools who organized the protest in solidarities with the affected schools. So the La Staria school was closed for two days and the culprits have been suspended while an investigation is taking place. Where are these parents? I swear to God, if I had a child that was a boy that did this, I, oh my gosh. Oh, I don't even know, oh, know what I would do. I would be, like send that child to therapy. I'd be like, you are going immediately to therapy. Like, what is wrong with you, you psychopath? Okay. So the district's mayor, Evelyn Matei, launched a support helpline for school children affected by gender violence and has pledged legal action. And she said, these threats are a crime that warrants action beyond school protocols, which I agree. So uh, Javier, the 17-year-old I was talking about earlier, says believes a firm response from authorities is necessary. And she says maybe the schoolboys haven't caused physical harm to anyone, but such talk can often lead to something worse, right. which agreed. So but physical attacks have also taken place in yeah. Santiago schools. Um, I think it was last week or the week before. Said the, um, I think last week a 14-year-old was raped in a classroom by an older student during a lunch break. So it's we haven't need they haven't mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Students and parents staged protests. I mean, not that, sorry, it's just <laughs> not the most not that the most shocking part of this is the lunch break, but it's just yeah, like it's just like so, like it's just it, unfathomable. Yeah, and it's also like you. you Why aren't you eating? And also, like you wouldn't want to do this a little bit more in a secluded. I mean, it sounds like don't no no, but but you know what I mean. It's yeah, it does like, sound like you're just like. You're not afraid of anything here, like yeah, because these people like live without consequences. Like this, these like these humans that decide that they're going to rape somebody. It's never about sex. It's always about power. So it's this power dynamic that this person thinks they can get away with it, and yeah. it's fucking ugh, it's disgusting. So um, students and parents are staging protests outside the school um, and pelting the uh, building with rocks, demanding explanations. Um, this uh, one girl's father said, I put my trust in the school and they return me a daughter who has been raped. Um, and he says this is very, and a very situ- serious situation. So according to the government's educational department, school children's sexual harassment complaints have increased by 56% in 2022, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. But this was compared to the same period in 2018 before the pandemic. Yeah, that's the point, actually. Yeah, so what I think is that what I think, this is my speculation as somebody who minored in sociology. Uh, This is what happens when like you don't teach humans how to interact with each other. Like, I I don't know. Like, (sighs) is it that these boys are so freaking horny that they've seen a girl for the first time and they can't like keep it in their, I don't understand. No, okay. Like it's, but it's not only about sexual violence. I think you probably also read about like there has been like an increase in bullying, like, like, you know, gender-neutral bullying. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been this case, I don't know if you read about this, this, I don't know, I think it was a boy, basically just, like, got hogtied and they ripped out his eyelashes or something like what that. What the it F? Was just, it was just hard. Why? Is it, was, what is, what? Why? This suck, I don't know. No, like, no, no, but, like, asshole. why is it increased? Because, okay, here's, actually, I wanted to send you an article about that, I forgot about that. There was, uh, they interviewed a few psychologists about that, and they say it's, in this age range where there is so much social development going on the last two years have been just this big void you know and they were just like they forget how to interact with other people and how to be social again so that kind of makes sense and i think it's that because you were talking about the the um, the reports right i think it's that that actually more things are happening but i also think that in a way the whole i think 2018 2019 sort of marked a turning point in terms of uh, people's voices being heard. Me too, the SAU, the social, and all these things. So I think people also feel a lot more, especially women, feel a lot more comfortable reporting things like that. Whereas sure. back, back in 2018, 19, it, that might have not been the case to the same extent. And then also, so here we have UNESCO, UNESCO reporting that COVID schools closures have been one of the reasons saying this is probably one reason that there's more um, vulnerability and gender-based violence. So there's an uh, activist, her name is Valentina Carrasco, and she says um, that she believes that the pandemic has exacerbated cases of gender violence in young people, saying the young people were at home for two years without seeing other people. Now they're in classes again and everything has exploded. I mean, again, like you said, that this is a very vulnerable age. These are people who have not socialized. These are, like, when, I mean, they've talked about it a lot as well. We've talked about, I think, on the podcast about, like, there's a lot to be said, like, psychologically and sociologically about, like, only having girls' schools and only having boys' schools and how, like, this, it 
when you do that, the actually girls thrive because they are free from sexual violence, but boys really suffer because they're in, they don't learn to respect and the differences between men and women. And I don't know, like there's so many things that are in, like, have these boys been home for two years with like really shitty messages being like told to them by their families? Like, I don't understand. Okay, let's head to the next trigger warning. Animal violence. Animal violence. So, so last Thursday, a mother went out with her eight-year-old daughter to the Barrio Makes to presumably do some shopping, you know, God knows what. Girl got hungry, and the mom got her an anticucho, which is like shashlik ske skewer or whatever, yeah, from one of those food stands. And little did she know that she was actually chomping down on dog meat <laughs> and ended up with a dog's ID chip in her tummy, which had to be removed later on. I just, uh, yeah, good question. They didn't because specify when, that in the news, but... I read the article, it said that it was a dog chip found in the meat, and I just assumed she was eating it, and then was like, what the fuck is this? Is it a bone? That's, like, how would do they know? Was she, like, like the, they were the, the owner looking for the dog, and her just, belly started beeping? Like, yeah, I don't know, probably... Oh, no, I, I, I just, like, my guess, my guess is she was just like, okay, I swallowed something that felt a little bit weird, metallic, whatever, and then I think she went to the doctors, was like, this is not feeling good. You know, oh, what is this? And they scanned that. And, you know, this caused a big brouhaha. And then the health respecters started cracking down on food carts in that area. And one important revelation did make the news. The chip belonged to a poodle. Yeah. I just I just thought it was fucking hilarious that they really had to point this out on the news. Know, but okay. Like, uh, Taking away them, trigger warning. So remember when we talked about the government worker illegally downloading movies and series onto the work computer a few years back? A few weeks ago? Uh -huh. a few, yeah. So I do you one better. So the same guy that found out about the movie download now discovered that someone from the finance ministry downloaded porn on their computer. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was not the history. Remember how what this guy did is okay. First, remember that all I like government IP addresses are public. Like you, and there is this website called I know what you download org or .com, whatever, where you can put in an IP and then it just shows you whatever you downloaded or whatever that IP you downloaded. That? Nope, you cannot delete that oh. because deleting, clearing your history is a local thing that you do on a computer. That thing with the IP, that's in the internet registry, whatever. I'm not an expert at that, but is it doesn't like go away. Like yeah, that just, that just happened. Cool. Now, not saying it was the finance minister, but it was somebody who worked there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was Mario Marcin. <laughs> okay, who knows? Now, yeah, so if you want to know the details, what he downloaded, or she, who know, they, whatever, is Moms Teach Sex and Welcome Aboard XXX. So I think it's, they did specify that in the news article, which is great. So yeah, so as I said, it was like the, the same guy who found out about the illegal movie download a few weeks ago. So he then informed the Computer Security Incident Response Team, the CSIRT, of the CSI. Ministry of the Interior who then promptly awarded him with a nifty label pin who he proudly showed off on Twitter. So that's what he got for it. Yep, and he was happy. Okay. He got a little label pin, yep. You mean a lapel? Lapel, lapel, yeah, not a label, that yeah. lapel. Label. 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 Like it's like, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I choose you label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I choose you label and porn or whatever. So that's what I have for news. Okay, so I have one thing that's kind of fun um, with our dinosaur news. <laughs> So there was an ancient 
cemetery of flying reptiles unearthed in the Atacama Desert. So the Atacama Desert is just a cornucopia of dinosaurs, if you don't know. Um, So scientists in Chile have unearthed a rare cemetery of well-preserved bones of ancient flying reptiles that apparently roamed the, or flew, the Atacama Desert more than 100 million years ago. Their remains belong to pterosaurs, pterosaurs, scientists determined flying creatures that lived alongside dinosaurs and had long wingspans. It's not a pterodactyl. Pterodactyls are different than pterosaurs. But Ducky was not a pterodactyl either. You're talking about, oh, what's his, what's his name? No, he was, no, she was a little duck thing. No, the pterodactyl, no, the pterodactyl is a different one. What was his name? Oh, if you remember his name, please message us. <laughs> so, because there's Bigfoot, Sarah, Ducky, and Petrie! Petrie! His name was Petrie because he was a pterodactyl. <laughs> Who was Ducky then? Ducky was the little duck. He had a, she had a duck bill. That's why she's named Ducky. Yeah, because, I thought because pterodactyl. No, you're thinking of Petrie. Like a, oh, like a Petri dish. Yeah, aw, look at us. We're so cute. Okay, so it had a long wingspan and fed by filtering water through long, thin teeth similar to flamingos. I didn't know flamingos had teeth. That is a very disturbing image right now. I didn't know flamingos had teeth. I didn't want to know that. Thank you. I just saw some at Animal Kingdom. Oh, hold on. I think I saw They had, like, really, like, rows of teeth and, like, Oh my god. Oh yeah, no, I remember. Oh my god. Gross. And they stink because they only eat shrimp. Oh, it's gross. Okay. So don't let them confuse you. Like they're not they're not nice. No, I know. Like just wanna like look at them look pretty, okay? So the group of scientists led by Onathan Alarcon, an investigator at the Universidad de Chile. Jonathan, that's his name. I guess like Jonathan, but J Ache. But it's Jota. Oh, anyway. So I have been searching for the Ptosaurus, the Tesaurus, for years, but discovery has surpassed their hopes. He said this has global relevance because these types of findings are relatively rare. Alarcon said almost everywhere in the world, the pterosaur remains have been very isolated. Um, This discovery will allow scientists to study the pterosaur's habits, not just its anatomy. And he said we could determine how the groups of these animals were composed, if they were raised their babies or not. And the another big surprise was how well these bones were preserved. So they were like one of the most well-preserved bones of this type of dinosaur, reptile, whatever. And so he also said most pterosaur bones that are found are flattened and broken. And he said we are able to recover three-dimensional bones, not just like fossils, which is pretty freaking cool. So, there's that. Okay, guys, so here's the plan. We're going to talk about the Araucanía region. We're going to start with the history of the Araucanía region. Then we're going to do, Lenny's going to do a little timeline. And that's going to be part, right, so like more historical things today, um, like of the history of the indigenous people, uh, the Mapuche um and then next part two we are going to get really into the weeds of what is going on right now so that's what's happening this episode and next episode i hope you enjoy it we're talking about this big old dumpster fire down south which is also known real dumpsters on fire 
Oh, yeah, but, you know, mostly trucks, because let me tell you, if you're like an excavator or a truck, it's not a good time for you to be down south in Chile these days. You get set on fire. Poor trucks, poor excavators. So, yeah, we're talking about the so-called uh, Araucanía conflict, mm -hmm. which is, well, boiled down in a sentence, the government versus indigenous people, indigenous people versus possibly some uh, drug trafficking peoples versus people. versus uh, yeah um, lumber companies. Oh, a lot of things. Yeah, it's it's and I, I said this before off the air. It's just I'm I wish I've I've had a kind of a doozy of a week, and I wish I've had more time to prepare this because there's a lot to unpack in this one. It's really interesting. It's super interesting. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, We're going to do our best to to get as much information to you as possible. If there's something you think that is really important that we left out, feel free to drop us a message. Um, so maybe we can cover that because we might need direction of like, oh, why did you not talk about this? It's not because we're avoiding it. It's just this is such a big topic that um, we might have just missed something. Well, we're not scholars, right? We're just two people who like Chile who want to like talk about it. So um, I'm going to start because I'm going to sort of give the, the, con the historical context yes. of where the history led up to where we are now. Cool. So chime in and mansplain whenever I think it's Yeah, necessary. perfect. Love it. Love it so much. <laughs> which is, which is well, let's call it collaborating, right? Yeah. Okay, so the beginning of human history <laughs> of this region, of this region started um, 11,000 years Uh, 11,000 11, BC, that's what I'm trying to say, which is, which is considered the Paleo-Indian period. Paleo-Indian period, okay. I think it's what it's called, or that is what it's called according to this article. So the first settlers of the South Places were organized in family groups. They, didn't ne they aren't necessarily in this moment identified as certain types of peoples because it was so long ago. Right. We don't have yeah. any specific information about it was this people's or these people's or that people's I'd be surprised if that was the case. right no um so the they were organized into family groups of hunters and gatherers who practiced mobile residential mobility and they were the first people obviously to learn how to live with the land um with sporadic excursions to the coast right um so then during what's called the arauco period this was from 800 AC until 700 AC approximately. Um, there were profound changes in societies that populated the South and Central zone, which um, specifically was related to also like scarcity of food. There were changes to the way things were done because of scarcity of um, certain types of plants that had been like over excavated excavated what excavated um um also different technologies and they were able to create more intimate expressions um of behaviors according to this article it says intimate expressions of behaviors and settle a little bit more so Uh, because of these developments of tools, they could have more types of agriculture. So anyway, so 4,800 years ago, gathering people began to arrive more. So like more people became to arrive to the region, more types of indigenous peoples. Um, 
which we're leaving, um, which again, we have a lot of people who are gathering fruits and plants because in these regions, they were very populated with lots of fruits and plants. So it is at this point in history where we're starting to see distinctive indigenous peoples because they were sort of like, okay, so we had these hunters and gatherers and now we have a mixing of different groups who are now making tribes that are now indigenous peoples, indigenous tribes. So we, for example, we are going to be talking about the Diaguitas, the Turtiruas, I'm really trying to pronounce that correctly, um, that have made their distinctive um, traditions, right? Now, and here comes the Mapuche culture, which is the main indigenous tribe that we're going to talk about. It's the principal indigenous group that still uh, exists in Chile. The principal meaning the largest. There are other indigenous groups that exist here, but this is principally what we're going to be talking about as far as the conflict in this region. There are about 12% of the overall population. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Chile, not only indigenous people in Chile, just overall Chile mm -hmm. population. And the Mapuche culture actually... Um, was a mix of different indigenous peoples before them, including the Pitrin and the Vergel. Trying, hoping, hoping I get close to those pronunciations. So this was a mix of those two cultures, and now they they became homogeneous. So um, and they are just now recognized as the the Mapuche, which the word Mapuche means like people of the. So you don't have to say the Mapuche people because it's redundant. Yeah. So the Mapuche people. I just said that that was redundant. The Mapuche <laughs> were were relatively isolated after they sort of um, mixed together with other cultures. They had brief contact with the Inca Empire, but they never really reached that same area. Um, and so the, they, they, they have some evidence of this sort of interaction, but not much. They were pretty much isolated in a lot of ways. Um, so the inhabitants of the Incan Empire from the Mapuche were called the wild people. Anandrunasimi purum auka. That's how the Incan people saw the Mapuche, or what? Yes. Okay. Uh, just to clarify. The wild people. Um, it is interesting to point out that the Mapuche were seen as like a very strong tribe, like very warrior, very strong. Um, not a necessarily a violent tribe towards other inhabitants because they didn't have a lot of that but for example <laughs> when the when the spanish came they found it very um difficult to fight the mapuche yeah. because they were so strong in their resources and their use of weapons and tools and things like that it's kind of funny that the incan people kind of like how they saw the mapuche i think it's a bit analogous to how the romans considered like the the germanic tribes you know, the, those barbarians, like yeah. savage people, but like indomitable, you know, so like you couldn't really, you know, conquer them. Even though there was not a lot of like, they don't have a lot of evidence of the socialization between the Mapuche and the Incan Empire. They noticed that the Mapuche were so uh, resourceful that they would like, they paid attention apparently and took all of the things that they liked from the Incan Empire and brought it back with them to their isolate. Because they're like, okay, so we see that this there was a socialization and now we see that this stuff exists in Mapuche, but we have no 
other evidence that they ever saw each other again. So the Mapuche were like, huh, that is really interesting. We like that shit. We're going to take it with us. Yeah, I read, I read that something about that too. That was like this kind of artifact that they found there from like a, not, not, not Incan, but also like a, some other Andean folks that yeah, Andean Andy people, Andy, them Andean folks, like Andean people that they just, like, yeah, the Mapuche were very adaptive. They even found like Polynesian chicken there. Yeah, they like basically like I guess that's one of the reasons why they were yeah, I mean, I guess so hard to um, colonize and I guess defeat because they were so resourceful like and capable of adapting. And again, another reason why they probably their, their culture survived so long. So in 1536, the Spaniards arrived and um, they were called the Spaniards were called. Wincas by the Mapuche, which means the new Inca. <laughs> That's what it means. It means the new Inca. Oh, okay. Um, so with this contact, so they, they arrived in 36, and there was also a battle between them in, in 1536. Like, immediately the Spanish were like, get the fuck out of town. Um, and this battle occurred in Rinoelin, and... The Spanish conquerors named that the Araucano. Yeah. And which we have the Araucania, right? So that's related. And this was first used by Alonso de Ercia in 1589. So that's the first time we've seen this. And Arauco is derived from the word rago, which is white chalky water. It's a Mapunangun word that means white chalky water. I did not find that out. The white chalky water people. Yeah. Um, so th- this is also synonymous with mayeco, mayoko, or mayarauco. Mayarauco. White chalky water. Huh. I guess there was a lake or something there that was white and also chalky looking. So um, there's, there's that. So. <laughs> so that's the thing. So. There were different, of course, um, words that they would use to describe the Mapuche, um, including like Pinkun, which meant north, or Wili, which meant south, like not just like words that they'd be like, you know, as Pinguino was saying, like the Spanish would hear a word and be like, this was what this means. And it didn't mean any of that. It just was like words that they used. Get get the fuck out. Yeah, (laughs) it it means go away. Uh Uh-huh. So at that moment in history, right after, so if I didn't specify that battle, the Spanish did not win. The Spanish had a really hard time with the Mapuche, which vexed them quite a lot. They were quite vexed. So at that time, there was over 180,000 Mapuche living on those lands, um, which did have uh, mainly Mapuche. They also were some Pehuenche tribal people living on but much smaller groups um so this was then named by the spanish the rebellious region since that um battle (laughs) the the rebellious region um and the spanish continued to conquer most of chile but could not defeat the mapuche and also the other small tribes that were in that area because the mapuche were so fierce and um i guess resourceful as well so um pinguino mentioned that another reason why it was really hard to defeat the mapuche is the mapuche didn't have like one centralized like king or leader or like chief um to because a lot of times what the spanish would do with indigenous peoples is they would find like the the power head 
kill the power head and then like all the other it was easier to like subdue the people but since there was no one person um as like the tribal leader with the mapuche it was harder to do that you actually had to kill a bunch of people so um yeah so this is interestingly worded this says after the independence of chile which means like the independence from spain let's be let's like be uh not the an indigenous people's independence um right is the independence of chile from spain right um they held a general they the chileans held a general parliament that was um was included with the Mapuche who lived south of the Biobio River in order to agree on a statute that would regulate relations between the Republic and the Mapuche. Um, this was held in 1825. However, various events occurred that forced the Chilean state to allocate resources to the border areas, um, which made the Mapuche very upset. Um, so then... During the revolution of 1851, General José María de la Cruz, leader of the coup, a coup movement, recruited several Mapuche loncos, which is heads of communities. Again, we don't have like one, well, we don't have one centralized person. We just have little heads of the communities. Yeah. And so they recruited for this coup in 1851, they recruited these Mapuche people to take arms up against the government. Um with this in this insurrection was completely crushed by general manuel bulnes and instead of um surrendering together with de la cruz the um so um they refused to surrender and they the um loncos were subsequently killed right <laughs> so, like, so, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah like they would they never give up never surrender so then we have and more history so a french adventurer named Aurelie Antone de Tunens. Oh, he, he went to the area of the Araucanía and made contact with the Loncos, um, which again were the like community leaders, who were uh, really interested about founding a state for the Mapuche people as a form of resistance. The Chilean army during this time of the, what's called the Arauca War, um, um, and in 1860, he founded the Kingdom of Araucanía and proclaimed himself king. Uh, yeah, uh, of of that area. So uh, he proclaimed himself as the title of Aurelie Antone the uh, First. So, but during the following days, the um, the constitution of the kingdom, because they like had to like create like sort of a constitutional set of rules they declared the annexation of patagonia which established limits on the river the biobio river and also the ocean and the atlantic ocean which is kind of weird and the uh yeah okay yeah because like the the tip yeah the like the mag yeah the tip just the tip i got confused there too because when they were they in argentina they say that the mapuche are like a And it's just like in Argentina, they define Patagonia going way more up north than here in Chile. Yeah. Well, and also something to mention is there are a lot of Mapuche in Argentina as well. Yeah, which we have just thing about. Yeah, we had a... We had a... Yeah, no, that's dumb. Okay, so um, do 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 deep. Okay, so the Chilean government, however, under the command of President Jose Joaquin Perez, ordered the arrest of um, 
of the King Aurel Antone the First in 1862. And then in 1879, the last, what is considered of this this article, the last great Mapuche uprising, again, according to this article, uh, took place in the current region of what is now Araucanía due to the migration of Chilean forces to the north due to the War of the Pacific. So because of the War of the Pacific, there was an uprising because of that, like, those battles that were happening. And if you don't know what the War of the Pacific is, it was a war between Bolivia, Peru, and against Chile. And um, that's how we got, we stole uh, Bolivia's ocean. And do, 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 dop, do. the uprising was put down, um, led by Cornelio Saavedra Rodriguez in 1881, in the process known in the, Chilean, in the traditional Chilean history as the pacification of the Araucanía, which sounds super fucked up. Yeah. So, um... And in this time, the Araucanía area was then totally occupied by the Chilean government. And they um, started to carry out different state projects, um, which had been planned since the Spanish were there. Like, the Spanish already had, like, certain ideas in mind for these, like, area, like, how to colonize it. And they sort of used those same sort of ideas of colonization and settlement so in that area. 18 1881. Okay, okay. So that was, yeah, okay. Um, so the Mapuche, this is like horrible, but the Mapuche were then relocated to, quote, reductions um, with their respective Merced title, that is community lands of reduced extension so that they could practice livestock activities, but they were removed from their land, put in like, I guess... Yeah, they removed from their land, put in like reservations. Yeah. And not like one big contiguous one, which is like yeah, spread, sporadic. Here and, there and, there. and there's a lot of these that are still there to this day, yeah. that a lot of people, a lot of Mapuche still live in. And um, so these occupied territories in the Araucanía were given to both Chilean and European settlers, mainly Spanish, German, French, Italian, British, Swiss, and I'm like, so European settlers. It's like, yeah. it's just mainly, and then it just lists like six different countries. So, Spanish, German, French, Italian, British, Swiss. Right. So in total, between 1882 and 1901, 36,000 Europeans arrived, 24,000 hired by the colonialization agency, and 12,000 arrived by their own means. <laughs> The co- can you imagine? It's, it's called like, the colonial, the the colonial, like it's called just, like the agents, like yeah, like that's so bad. Yeah, and this was a part of a process called the European colonialization of the Araucanía. That's what it was called, like obviously translated, but that's like the direct translation from Spanish. I'm like that, so they like we're like we're colonizing. Fuck off! Like that's pr- proud of it. Yeah, so that's uh, the history of what where that puts us to about now. This is Blaney's part now. Yes, this is my part now. This is my show now. So yeah, so you you know brought us up to speed in the history. I'm gonna get a little bit more into the modern history. What's been happening there? Because I mean, you know, as you could have told, the 
the relationship of the Mapuche people with the colonists, with the Chileans, with the Spanish, with outsiders, so to speak, has always been a bit tense. But then again, like uh, that kind of applies to every um, country on the American continent, every country everywhere in a way. However, in recent years, like this conflict between Chileans and the Mapuche people has flared up a lot. And actually, it's one of the, if not the most prolific um, conflict in the Latin American continent these days. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you could also say, okay, yeah. As far yeah. as like indigenous. As far as indigenous, yes. Yeah. As far as indigenous communities go. Because you could say, okay, well, the U.S. had the fair share of troubles with the indigenous, indigenous people, which continues um to uh, present day, you know, that there has been, you know, tension, disagreement, but not to the extent that we are seeing here. Because right now what we're seeing here in southern Chile are acts of violence. There are, is arson, there is murder. There is, it's really a shit show down there. Yeah. So let's, let me give you a little timeline of what has happened to give you a little bit better understanding how this conflict escalated lately. So in a way, as a starting point, I would say let's pick 1989 which was when the then presidential candidate Patricio Aylwin, um, Aylwin, yeah, <laughs> Patricio Aylwin, um, asked, presented the um, the Acuerdo de Nueva, Nueva Imperial, the Nueva Imperial Agreement, mm-hmm. to some the of the Imperial Ma- Agreement. <laughs> the New Imperial Agreement. That is not a it's not a good name, no. But Nueva Imperial is a is a town in the in the Araucanía region. And that ag- agreement basically uh, sought to strengthen the rights and representation of indigenous people in Chile, which is actually, it had a few good ideas in there. And some Mapuche leaders did agree, did sign that agreement. However, Aucan Wilcaman, who was the leader of the Consejo de Todas las Tierras, which was one of the most influential Mapuche groups back then, he said, I'm not going to sign that. Why exactly? I'm not quite sure. I think it was probably because it didn't go far enough for him in terms of you know, granting more indigenous rights. Now, that's kind of where this whole thing started. They were like, he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, you, you got to bring more to the table here. No, fast. Started as far as like yeah. the, the direct conflict, like political conflict, more than. I think okay, I'm I'm just speculating here. So what Patricio Alwin, who was not president by then, no, because he did eventually become he, president. He, he eventually became president. But at that time, he was like he was like okay, he was he was also the first one after the transition to democracy. Yeah, he right? was the first yeah. president after the dictatorship. So he was just like okay, we just got out of the dictatorship. Okay, like we want to have good relations with you guys. So I know things have been kind of shitty under the dictatorship. So let, let's let's work on this. Okay, bing, 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 yeah, bing bing bing. Let's work on this, and. I think, and please correct me if you know any better, I think what Aukan Wilkaman was saying was just like, good start, but not enough. Not enough, right. Not enough. We need more. We need this faster. Like, I'm not signing this. Mm-hmm. You know, shove it up your... <clears throat> so fast forward some eight years, December 1st, 1997, three trucks were burned by Mapuche activists in the town of Lumaco, and this pretty much marks the first violent act of the Mapuche conflict since the country's transition to democracy. So this is where this whole thing really started you know to get violent fast forward some eight years no sorry 11 years and january 3rd 2008 the mapuche activist matias catrileo was fatally wounded by the carabinero walter ramirez during an occupation of the santa margarita estate owned by jorge luxinger now that name will might mm-hmm. sound familiar to to you because just uh five years later mapuche activists 
went to confront uh, confront Werner Luxinger, who is the father of Jorge Luxinger and his wife Vivian McKay. And that confrontation ended with the house being burned down and both mm. senior citizens there because they were old men. And this I mean, is the like the the crutch of so many like yeah. anti Mapuche exactly. um sentiment. Yeah, that comes was from. that was really when it really got ugly because they just burned down the house. Um I, I, I guess it was in a way retribution for whatever happened to um There's a lot of to, controversy around yeah, it. To, like there's yeah. a lot of like the house was burnt down, but it was like unintentional, but there were people inside right. and they died. Because the actual trial are you gonna talk about the trial? Not that much, but I'm gonna say what what I was gonna say is that uh, the only pe- person that got uh, sentenced there was the Celestino Cordova, who was also a machi, which is a community leader in the Mapuche mm-hmm. culture. And he was rather influential. And he was eventually sentenced to 18 years of prison without parole. And this became actually one of the most high profile cases in the context, uh, context yeah. of this conflict. Now, uh, details aside, what we know is that, yes, these two people died in the fire, unfortunately, who was responsible or not for that. OK, maybe that's yeah. on a different page, but that's that happened what i'm trying to say is this is a very much like one of those like hot button things where like if you try to talk about the mapuche conflict with some chileans they'll be like yeah but the two old people that died and it's like i'm trying to have a conversation with you about the araucania region right and and you can't just mention that particular like incident especially since several people who were on trial were deemed as innocent um but you can't just point out one event and be like, this is the reason why I believe this. There's no other reason why to talk about it. Blech. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, like there are other things involved here. And it seems to be much more complicated. But as you said, two people did die. Yeah. Um, but it's a very controversial yeah. moment in this, this conflict. As I said, it's one of the most prolific things that have happened in the context of this conflict. Like, if you as mention a, it, every Chile knows who you're talking about. Yeah. And as a consequence, actually, the Bachelet administration, not the Piñera administration, but the Bachelet administration, implemented the Pinochet-era ter- anti-terrorism law in the region, which gives law enforcement, like, a lot of authority to just, great, like, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people could like, well, Piñera. I was like, no, it wasn't Piñera. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was actually, it was Bachelet in this, this case. Piñera, like, Tighten the screws a little bit further yeah. down the road, as far as I understand. But it was Bachelet who actually implemented this whole thing. So, okay, let's just leap another um, five, six years forward. November 14th, 2018, farmer and activist Camilo Cadrianca, oh, who was also the grandson of a Mapuche chief, uh, who was shot and killed by a member of the Special Forces uh, Jungle Commando, as they were called, because they suspected him to be involved in a car theft, which in reality he had nothing to do with, really, you know. And I think this is also considered to be a turning point in the conflict because as from this moment on, the incidents increased, like, exponentially. It was like every semester, it was just like, it was like, okay, five incidents here and maybe 10 there, and then all of a sudden it was like, bam, 50, 70. As he was Mapuche, he was very well known in the area as Mapuche, a very open vocal activist. And these, these, um, the jungle, whatever, were these carabineros, um, they shot an unarmed man and killed him for no other reason except for he was Mapuche. Not not even only unarmed, he had also absolutely, he had no involvement in whatever was going on. He was just, he was involved. Yeah. Right. He was, was qu- quote-unquote collateral damage, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I mean it was crazy. 
Well, another turning point in this whole thing was February 8, 2020, when Mapuche activists set fire to a truck in the town of Victoria. And no, supposedly, unbeknownst to them, the driver, Juan Barrios, who was still in the driver's cabin, resting, and therefore was unaware of what was happening. So... Right. And like they didn't know he was in there. He didn't know what was going on because he was sleeping. So Barrios got severely burnt and he died a few years later. And at that point, this was when the powerful uh, truck drivers union entered. the. It was two years later. Yeah. A little little less. Actually, just one. No, no, no. No, sorry. I mean, just he died a few days later. Oh, you said years. No, no. Wait, what? (laughs) He just held on. No, no. It was a few days later. So what I'm saying is like this is relevant in terms of this macro and this conflict because this was the point where the powerful truckers union came into the conflict and this is also now when a lot of this conflict has become economically a lot more significant to this whole thing because they were just like, okay, you got to sort this shit out or we're not shipping goods back and forth. Yeah. You know? Something we've mentioned it several times before yeah. on the podcast. So if you're if you this is your first or you missed those episodes or maybe you just don't remember – Because of the shape of Chile, truckers have a lot of power. They can basically say, I'm not shipping that, and the entire, like, economy is affected from north to south. They can, they have a lot of power. And, I mean, they've been wielding this power since truckers could truck. And... (laughs) Trucks be trucking. Yeah, and so it's, it's a very, um, historical thing that affects the economy, which... Boric wants to change by creating a train from north to south. So the same year, so the same year in in June 2020, the the ex-member of the CAM, Emilio Berkov, was arrested after a sting operation that found him with 200 kilograms of cocaine paste with an estimated street value of 3.8 billion Chilean pesos. And the government logged uh, this as a win against the alleged drug drug trafficking operation in in the region. Now, to just clarify, the CAM is a... It's kind of like the most prolific um, Mapuche activist organization in the region. It stands for Coordinadora Arauco Mayeco. And why is this important? Why is this relevant to this whole thing? Is because this was... I don't want to say the exact moment, but this was one of the most, let's say, one of the most prolific moments in which the public opinion started linking the Mapuche conflict with um, drug trafficking, you know. And this is also when the public opinion in parts swayed a little bit. They were just like, oh, those are not activists down there. Those are terrorists and drug traffickers who just, you know, want to keep their drug business running. And this is why they attack people and do everything, you know. Again, there's... So yeah, it, and also like it, I don't think it has been definitely, definitively, it has not been proven that they are involved with drug, drug trafficking or not. I mean, the matter of fact is out there that there is some drug, tra- drug trafficking going on, but in how far that is linked to the Mapuche activism is not really clear. So it's it's a thing. It's a thing. So. One half a year later, in January 22nd, 2021, the Mapuche activists forcefully entered an estate in the town of uh, Lauratio. Lauratio? The town hall. Yeah, the, and they expelled... Right. Well, yeah, it was, was it the town hall, right? Okay. And they expelled the yeah. inhabitants and set fire to the building. Now, and this is also an important point because until this point, the focus was mainly on the machinery of big lumber companies, and but not on individuals, you know? And it right. wasn't really going into into civil society, so to speak. Now, this is... And they're focusing on lumber companies yeah. that are destroying their land. 
Right, which is, we're going to get into that in a bit, man. And then as a last point, which was in October 12, 2021, President Pineda declares, declares a state of emergency for the provinces of Mayeco and Cautín in the Araucaria region, as well as for the Biobío and Arauco provinces in the Biobío region, which means that the army can basically give the police force logistical and technical support, conduct surveillance, monitor, control public gatherings, as well as traffic the region. So they really doubled down with the military in this region. That was just last Last year, which, which Bodich, yeah, which escalate, which Bodich now has put an end to, right. you know, which jury's still out how this is going to play out, but hopefully, which is going to pacify the conflict a little bit. But this is really, this is, I mean, you can see from 1989, the guy was just like, we're not signing this, and there were little skirmishes here and there, and now we're like full out. It's almost a civil war down there. Like you got yeah. military down there, you got a state of emergency declared. Of citizens, civilians protesting against the. The Mapuche, you have Mapuche people who are pacifistically trying to do. There's a lot. We're gonna get a lot more into the weeds of this and discuss it more in our next and our part two episodes. So if you're if if the timeline was like, wait, wait, I want in more detail. We're gonna give you more detail. Don't worry. But it is so complicated that we need to do to have the timeline first. To, you know, to see, sort of see the timeline. Then we're gonna get more into the weeds, more into the, like the the specifics in our next episode, which will be part two. Let's do that. Let's do that. So thank you for listening. And don't forget to support us on the Patreon. If you like our um, if you like our stuff, maybe join the Patreon for a couple of months. We can buy some more beers to drink as we uh, discuss these things. And by beers, we mean professional sound effects. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually our goal. But, I mean, you know. Yeah. Either way, we are going to uh, – we're going to use that money for – you know the the podcast put it back into the podcast and um yeah so support us there check out those events we have the the trivia night on the 23rd of april the bilingual um comedy show on the 30th and the storytelling on the 26th we'll have all of those posts on our instagram so check it out so we'll see you back for part two and when in doubt bye. bye The Chile Today podcast is hosted by Leonard Kluge and Bethany Francis and produced by Diego Pinguino Rivera. For more information on the news topics you heard today, check out chiletoday.cl.